Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. What do my city's trash collection department and the NFL owners have in common? Plus, Lamar Jackson signs a contract. And who is the biggest winner outside of this year's 2023 NFL draft? You're listening to the What the Elf Was That podcast, an iconoclastic look at the latest Cleveland Browns news. The What the Elf Was That podcast is part of the Fanatical Elves Podcast Network, a part of the Fans First Sports Network. Here's your host, Joel Cade. Unless you've been living under a rock, you know that the NFL draft was this past weekend. And now that we've had the draft picks and they're all in, everyone's wondering who won the NFL draft. Well, for us, we're just going to focus right here on the Cleveland Browns. And I think that the biggest winner out of the NFL draft was the defensive tackle room. And one person in particular, Jordan Elliott. Yes, my friends, Jordan Elliott is the major winner of the NFL draft. But before we get to that, let's talk about what the Browns actually did do in the draft. In the third round with the 98th pick overall, the Browns selected... Maybe I get this right. Siaki Ika out of Baylor. Siaki Ika out of Baylor is a one technique. Particularly, just so you guys know, he is a big, fat dude. He weighs 355 pounds. While he was playing at Baylor, he also lost 20 pounds to go to the combine. So when you're 355 pounds, then you lose 20 pounds. You're talking about 335 pounds. He is the prototypical big fat dude that lines up over the center and makes two people block him. Now, why did the Browns take him? Because Siaki Iku, I'm going to call him Ika. Siaki Ika does a great job of firing out low, sticking his hands on a blocker, and doing what's called stacking blocks. So that means he'll stand up the blocker and then force someone else to hit him, hence stacking blocks on top of one another. 
He can also hold down two gaps, or hold down a gap requiring two people to hold him. He has average athleticism for his size, and he is an excellent double gap player who can also single gap when called upon. Uh, why is this important? Who cares if he can double gap versus single gap? So let's take a long little dive into what the Cleveland Browns are going to be doing on defense now that Jim Schwartz is around. You may recall that pathetic, inept defense that the Browns have been playing the last few years under Joe Woods. Basically, what happens is the defensive linemen line up in gaps. Now, a gap is a player, a, a, a hole, basically, between where the guard and center line up or between the guard and tackle line up. And these holes are numbered. On offense, they're called holes. On defense, they're called gaps. That's just a terminology difference. So there's multiple ways that a team can control the run game. One is to say, we're going to put a player in every gap. And so if anybody tries to run through those gaps, we have a player in that gap. And that is a viable strategy, and a lot of teams do that. A lot of very, very good defenses have done that. This is one of the things that the... Um, the 46 defense with Buddy Ryan, you may remember that defense where the Bears basically blitzed nonstop. That was a gap-based scheme. You put one player, assign them to one gap, and they control that one gap. Okay? What the Browns are going to be doing next year is not a single gap scheme. They will be moving to what's known as a double gap scheme. And in a double gap scheme, a player fires into an offensive lineman, attempts to determine the direction of where the ball is going, either by figuring out where pressure is coming from from the offensive lineman in terms of he wants to get his head in this way to block him a certain way, understanding how they're being blocked, getting off that block, and making a play. When you take this approach to defense, here you have all the defensive linemen identifying the blocking scheme and everyone running to a particular spot. So you, what you have out of double gap schemes are a person who may line up, say, over a guard. But they're responsible for the gap between the center and the guard and the guard and the tackle. At the same time, the defensive end may be responsible for the gap between the center or the guard and the tackle and the tackle and the outside to the sideline. So to double gap scheme, it's a little bit more difficult or a little different challenge because you don't just have players running in trying to grab somebody or tackle somebody. You have players who fire in, attempt to identify the scheme, and then run to where the ball should be based on the, the blocking scheme of the offense. Both have their advantages. The single gap is an attempt to generate pressure and attempt to disrupt. The double gap scheme is more of, at least traditionally the double gap scheme has been more of, let's read, react, get to the ball, make the play. Tradition or modern NFL teams like to have that disruption because they feel that it puts offenses behind the ball, which is why, behind the chains, which is why you have a lot of single gap schemes. But the Browns, particularly Jim Schwartz, likes to run a double gap scheme that attempts to pressure. So what they'll do is they'll fire into the lineman, figure out what the scheme is, and then attempt to come upfield off the block. And this little adaptation now 
um, creates for a more effective run defense as opposed to identifying the scheme and running to the to the gap. We're running to into the backfield to see if we can disrupt. So the Browns now are <clears throat> starting this double gap scheme with Jim Schwartz. Um, side note, for those of you who tell you that a 3-4 versus a 4-3 is inconsequential, that all NFL defense is about stopping the pass, uh, you know, those PFF guys, they'll, they'll give you this garbage, right? Just look at the PFF guys and say, have you watched the Browns play the last three years? Watch the Browns defense the last three years because all they've attempted to do is stop the pass and they give up all kinds of stuff on the run and which eventually led them to being unable to stop the pass too. But I digress. <laughs> so the Browns are under Jim Schwartz are coming to this double gap scheme. The double gap scheme requires a few different body types in a defensive tackle room. You need that big, fat, fat dude in the in the defensive tackle room. So the Browns addressed this initially by bringing in Dalvin Tomlinson. Dalvin Tomlinson, 315 pounds, plays the one technique, which is the outside or inside shoulder. It depends on where the strong set of the, of the offense is of the center. So they're not lined up directly on the center. They're lined up on the center shoulder. Okay. A zero technique is when you're lined up directly on top of the center. They bring in Dalvin Tomlinson to play that role. Now in the draft, they drafted Siaki Ika to play that exact same role. So now the Browns have two big fat dudes who are there to play the one zero technique. Now, why is this important? Because even Kevin Stefanski admitted in a recent press conference, um, actually it's an interview after the press con after uh, the draft that you can find on clevelandbrowns.com that last year the offensive or defensive front played in a way that was completely disconnected from their linebackers. The linebackers and the offensive line front, meaning the linemen, need to play together. So if a team runs a single gap scheme and you have four down linemen, they take four gaps. Well, there's going to be two or three extra gaps, and those linebackers need to fill those gaps. That didn't happen last year. Okay. This year, the Browns are going to run a double gap scheme. And the double gap scheme also helps linebackers to be protected so they too can read a guard or a center or a tackle and flow to the to the hole and to and to then just basically smother the lineman or the running back in a hole. But last year the defensive lineman shot gaps, linebackers tried to read. It's just a big combobulated mess that nobody knew what the other person was doing. And it really looked like a big giant disorganized mess on the field. Swartz is going to put an end to that big disorganized mess. And now that you have a double gap scheme, that's going to work with linebackers. You have to have defensive linemen, particularly defensive tackles that can occupy space, occupy more than just space, but occupy blockers. And now you have Tomlinson and Siaki Ika that can do that. But beyond that position, you need to have what's known as a three technique. Now, this is the person that lines up on the outside shoulder of an offensive guard. But they do something different than what a one technique does. A three technique is more of a slender bodied person. They can still weigh 300 pounds, but they're not the fat dude. They're more of a slender, athletic, long armed player that attempts to control the, the B gap. Okay, 
but is also there to disrupt. You want an athletic person that can use their hands, that in a gap system can shoot through a gap, but in a double gap system can once again also take on two blockers. But they're going to take on a guard and a tackle. Their job is to use their hands, figure out what's going, go to the gap, but also to hold that position if they get double teamed. So here you have a scheme where two linemen are supposed to be taking up, in theory, four offensive linemen. So the Browns, looking to address this issue, they also brought in a free agent to address this issue, and that person is Maurice Hurst. Okay, Maurice Hurst coming out of the University of Michigan was a one technique, but was slotted to be a three technique in in uh, the professionals played with the Raiders did an actually a pretty good job. Um, depends on who you talk to PFF. Everyone will tell you when he was with the Raiders, he did a great job in that three technique. Reese Hurst has the body, the quickness, the size, the hands. Um, he is able to disrupt zone blocking schemes. Your zone blocking scheme, by the way, is designed to exploit a weak three technique. If a team has a weak three technique, that's when your Joel Batonios and your Wyatt Tellers, that's when they can go and make plays. They can block that three technique and then you see Nick Chubb running. If you see a team like the Rams with Aaron Donald and a three technique, those are the teams that disrupt zone blocking teams and make their lives difficult. So what you want that three technique to do is to be a pass rusher and someone who can blow up zone blocking schemes. And this is exactly what Maurice Hurst has done in for the Raiders. And now after a year of kind of being hurt, kind of being on the IR, he comes back to play for the Browns, who are hoping that this can be their one-year person project that they can turn into a, a phenomenal or at least a, a solid three technique because they didn't draft a three technique. So now that brings us to who's left on the roster. When now we hear, oh, the Browns have drafted Ika, they've got Maurice Hurst, they've got Dalvin Tomlinson. Well, this obviously means, and you've all seen it, this is the end of the line for Tommy Togiai and the end of the line for Jordan Elliott. And I'm telling you, this is not the case. It may be the end of the line for Tommy Togiai because Tommy Togiai came out of Ohio State. He was a double gap specialist that played in the one technique. And that's literally what the Browns just drafted. The problem with Togiai isn't that like Togiai isn't strong because he's super strong. I think he had 40 reps on the bench press at the combine is that Togiai is smaller in stature, has smaller arms, can't necessarily reach out and hold his ground and gets bowled over by double teams. Don't know if he's going to be able to fix that. So this may be the end of the road for Tommy Tokia. But the other person in our discussion here is Jordan Elliott. Who is Jordan Elliott and what's happened to him? Jordan Elliott was a third round pick for the Cleveland Browns and his strength out of Missouri. You guys might be aware that they drafted the guy McGuire out of Missouri. Uh, the Browns did. Out of Missouri. His strength at Missouri was being an extremely technical player. Missouri, by the way, runs a double gap scheme. They teach their defensive tackles and their defensive ends. We'll get into it in a later podcast, 
how to play double gap schemes, how to fire in, how to take on pullers, how to follow pullers or not follow pullers, how to read what's happening with the offensive line blocking scheme so as to be in the appropriate position to make the play. The Browns drafted Jordan Elliott and then handed him over to Joe Woods. And Joe Woods immediately put him in a single gap scheme. But this isn't what Jordan Elliott does. So if you go back and you look at Jordan Elliott's scouting report. Here's what it says. Jordan Elliott is a skilled hand fighter with explosive upper body strength to tack, read, and react in an odd or even front. Elliott has experience in a variety of alignments, allowing teams to move him up and down the line depending on matchups. He is a more consistent at controlling gaps, which is what a double gap scheme does, than shooting gaps. So the Browns drafted Elliott to be a double gap scheme player. Then they put him in a single gap system. So we've never seen what Jordan Elliott could be in the NFL because we're asking him to play left-handed. Imagine taking one, like your right hand and tying it up and having to write with your left hand. That's what we've been asking Jordan Elliott to do for the past three years. He was drafted as a three technique with great hand fighting skills, great leverage skills, can stack blocks, shed blocks, has great balance. But we've been playing him in a gap scheme. Also, to point this out to be worse, we've been playing him in a one technique. Joe Woods has been lining him up over centers in a zero and a one technique, and that's not what he does. That's not who he is. Jordan Elliott is a three technique player. Now, good for Jordan Elliott, he has a coach who will understand and appreciate his skill set. Now he have coaches that will put him in the three technique and set him aside or set him off to play the double gap scheme, both as a run defender and a pass register, a pass rusher. And by the way, Jordan Elliott's NFL comparison coming out of the draft, one Maurice Hurst. That's right, Maurice Hurst, the man on the roster, was Jordan Elliott's NFL comp coming out of the draft. The biggest winner in this NFL draft is one Jordan Elliott. He now gets a coaching staff that understands double gap fronts. He gets to move into a double gap front scheme. He's now had a defensive tackle that is a zero to one technique that will play that position, freeing him up to move back to the three technique. And Jordan Elliott is the guy, if you want to say who can have a breakout season, that's him. Not meaning he's going to become a superstar, not meaning he's going to be the next Aaron Donald, but he's going to be a heck of a lot better than he has been the last three seasons. And I think he will make a significant impact either starting over Maurice Hurst or as a significant rotational player doing with what he does best. So now that the Browns have an actual defensive coordinator that actually understands how fronts work players like Jordan Elliott who've been kind of drafted put in the defensive tackle room we're not really sure what to do with them don't really have a plan for him there's going to be a plan for him so Jordan Elliott you won the draft good for you buddy now it's time to double gap your way into the starting lineup and with that we have to take a quick quick break to pay our bills because we are 
a, a podcast that pays our bills. So see you on the other side. We're going to talk about the AFC North and we're going to go around the NFL and see what's going on. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. And in case you haven't heard, and the timing of it makes it rather difficult to follow, Lamar Jackson has signed a contract with the Baltimore Ravens. Now, if you've listened to my podcast at all, this AFC North Roundup has kind of turned into a segment on how much I hate the Ravens. And here we go one more time. Lamar Jackson's deal is for five years for $260 million, which gives him the highest annual salary rate, which literally means nothing. An average rate of a contract is simply the total dollars divided up by the number of years in the contract. It means nothing. What's important in a contract like this are the guaranteed numbers. So the guarantees for Lamar Jackson are $185 million guaranteed out of the 260, which makes him the second highest guaranteed contract. Um, and that second highest is only just $5 million ahead of Jalen Hurts, but is still $45 million less guaranteed than Deshaun Watson's $230 million contract. So in the end, Jackson got the highest contract annually with the second highest amount of guarantees. Now, Lamar Jackson, for stretching this contract negotiation out, actually gave himself money as he allowed the market to develop. As Jalen Hurts signed his contract, as others signed their contracts after Lamar Jackson, after, excuse me, after Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson was able to make more and more and more and more money annually. The Ravens would have paid a lot less money had they just signed him after Deshaun Watson signed the contract. But as Lamar Jackson drug it out, other quarterbacks began to sign, making more money. Personally, I was hoping to see a repeat of the Le'Veon Bell routine. Now, in case you guys don't remember the Le'Veon Bell routine, Le'Veon Bell was a running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers who had the tag placed on him and didn't want to deal with it. So he sat out 11 games, came back just in time for his contract to toll so that if the Steelers wanted to tag him again, they would have to take the super tag, or I forget what the actual word is, the tag that gives them the extra bonus money and therefore make it much more difficult to sign him. But Lamar Jackson signs the contract, $260 million, $185 million guaranteed. In the end, Deshaun Watson, excuse me, in the end, Lamar Jackson is the biggest loser in the deal. He wanted to be the highest paid with the highest guarantees, but for some reason he caved, he compromised, and he lost out on guaranteed money. Check this up as a giant L. For Lamar Jackson. L for Lamar. Lamar Jackson 
drug this out because he wanted the guaranteed money. He wanted the Deshaun Watson deal. He wanted the $230 million guaranteed. He ended up with 185 guaranteed, which is still the second most guaranteed. And he wanted the highest annual salary. How do you walk out of this as Lamar Jackson feeling like you got the love? How do you walk out of this feeling like the Ravens wanted you? Remember that Odell Beckham Jr. press conference? It's not about the money. It's about the love. I wanted to be somewhere where I was wanted and I felt like I was wanted. Here's Lamar Jackson out here wanting a fully guaranteed contract per reports, wanting to be the highest played NFL quarterback because he deserved it in his mind. And in some respects, you know, he's a good quarterback. You want to keep him around. And whoever signs the latest quarterback deal gets the highest amount of money. So he felt like he deserved it. How do you walk out of here with Lamar Jackson feeling like, if you're Lamar Jackson, that you were loved, that you got the love? There's still another quarterback out there with more guaranteed money. And you're just $5 million, $1 million annually over the highest contract that's out there with Jalen Hurts. In no way, shape, or form does this say Lamar Jackson is loved. What it says is Lamar Jackson caved, that he compromised, that he gave in, that he lost. He's already lost. But fear not, the spin doctors are out. They're out making this sound like a win, right? So you've got Mike Sando of The Athletic, and I'll just read you this quote. This aspect is a win for league owners, but it isn't as much of a loss for Jackson and other quarterbacks as it might appear to be, right? The owners won, but Lamar Jackson really won too, right? That is because, quote, quote, that is because quarterbacks, more than players at any other position, tend to collect their non-guaranteed money anyway. Starting caliber quarterbacks are difficult to replace, so teams hold on to them, paying out tens of millions even when those quarterbacks are underwhelming, unquote. So the spin doctors are out. Yeah, Lamar Jackson didn't get all the money he wanted guaranteed, but it doesn't really matter because quarterbacks tend to get their money anyway. Guaranteed contracts, not a big deal. Wasn't it just a year ago that everybody's complaining about how guaranteed contracts are the bane of the NFL and they're going to destroy everything? And now we have people writing that guaranteed contracts, it's not really a big deal because NFL players get their money anyway. Guaranteed, not guaranteed. Owners pay this stuff out. It's not a big deal. Lamar Jackson really, he, he did a good job. He, he, he did a good job. You got these talking heads defending these greedy owners, the Borg. All they want is your money. Resistance is futile. Give me your money. The Borg have come out and redefined the market. They have effectively colluded against Lamar Jackson. And now you're going to tell me and everyone else that reads The Athletic that Lamar Jackson, it's okay because he's going to get his money even though he didn't get a guaranteed contract. Let's just advocate for the Borg to bully around players and not give a rear end about anything that the players do. And here's Mike Sando of The Athletic, the talking head for the NFL Borg, a.k.a. the ownership group. Speaking of the Borg and how messed up the NFL is, I have a story about the Borg. Where I live, in a small town in Ohio, we were once issued trash receptacles. 
you may be familiar with this. They give you this big bin. You throw your trash bag in it. You put it out there for the trash, and the trash guy come with their truck, and they throw it in the truck so the, so the people don't have to, like, hurt their backs and stuff. So we got these things. And back in the day when between my wife and I were remarried and we had children from previous marriages, uh, we're raising six kids together. I went to the city and I asked for a larger trash receptacle because eight people in a house create a lot of trash. And I talked to them. And I said, hey, I'd like to have a bigger trash receptacle. Right. We, we take a lot of trash. And the person behind the counter looked at me and said, we have smaller trash receptacles to encourage people to use less trash. This really took me aback for a second. Like, wait a minute, you're going to tell me that if you give me a smaller trash receptacle, that I will somehow magically use less trash? I'm just stumped. I'm dumbfounded. If you give me a smaller trash receptacle, I'm going to magically use less trash. Okay. I convinced them to give me a larger trash receptacle because they're out there. But they said, if we give this to you, you're going to have to pay an extra amount every month on your trash bill. I said, fine, I'll pay the extra amount. Just give me the larger trash receptacle so I can throw away my trash. Folks, this is exactly what the Borg, the NFL owners are doing to you with NFL Sunday ticket. That's right. For those of you who are like me, We live outside of the official team market of the team you follow. I don't live in the Browns market. I'm just a huge Browns fan. So if I want to watch Browns games on Sundays, I have to purchase NFL Sunday ticket. And you know, NFL Sunday ticket is outrageously priced. DirecTV outrageously priced it. YouTube just came out with their prices. And I just looked at this and I'm like... There is no way I am ordering NFL Sunday ticket this fall, given the prices that I've just looked at. It's just not going to happen. And why are NFL Sunday ticket prices so high anyway? Why does it cost so much? You can go to MLB TV, right? Major League Baseball TV. You can, for $130, purchase a package, $139.99. You can purchase a package that will allow you to see every single major league baseball game except for the ones in your market okay nfl sunday tickets the same way i live in southwestern ohio if i wanted to watch the Bengals, i couldn't watch it on sunday ticket but i could watch it over the airwaves except you know for baseball you have to buy a cable package and all this crap but anyway if i wanted to watch the reds games on mlb tv i couldn't do that all right but for 139.99 you can buy every other out of market team that you would absolutely ever want to watch. In the NFL, you can buy it on sale from YouTube for $250 on sale. After a certain time, it goes up to be another $100 to $350. This is ridiculous. So a group of lawyers and regular average Joes like us have filed a class action lawsuit against the NFL claiming antitrust behaviors they are seeking damages for alleged quote extra costs paid unquote due to the exclusivity of the packages of nfl sunday ticket that prices are artificially inflated due to a lack of free market competition 
So for those of you who don't understand economics, okay, the most, or excuse me, something is worth what it is on an open market. If you have multiple vendors providing the service, the price of that service will even itself out through the market. Without a market in place, a vendor can rack up the charges basically through a monopoly. One person does it, they can rack up the charges for their service as much as they want to do. So there are a group of people saying the NFL is basically a monopoly when it comes to NFL Sunday ticket. That they're artificially inflating the prices because there's only one vendor out there offering the service. It has been reported by several outlets that the NFL is requiring whoever would to purchase Sunday ticket, this chance it was YouTube, this instance was YouTube, that they price NFL Sunday ticket over $300 per year based on existing contractual language with CBS and Fox. Now, why does CBS and Fox care what NFL Sunday ticket is doing? Well, CBS and Fox are the are the uh, stations, the networks that hand out local television games. So Fox and CBS are saying to the NFL, we want you to price out Sunday tickets so high that people basically have to just watch local cable, local, local football games. So to protect Fox and CBS who pay NFL outrageous amounts of money, the NFL is requiring, allegedly, that whoever has NFL Sunday ticket, that they sell an NFL Sunday ticket at a premium price. And this overpricing, this lawsuit claims, encourages viewers to watch the local games and to protect the interests of the local broadcasters. Let me say that again. NFL is requiring whoever is the vendor for NFL Sunday ticket, in this case, YouTube, sell NFL Sunday ticket at an overpriced price tag of over $300 so that NFL viewers would be encouraged not to purchase Sunday ticket, but to watch local games over the airwaves for free. Now, it is well known that the NFL Sunday ticket has been an annual money-losing adventure for DirecTV. They don't make money off Sunday Ticket. DirecTV has long lost money over NFL Sunday Ticket. And the NFL is so greedy that they want to make you pay a premium price to watch out-of-market games. They don't care if you can or cannot afford it. In fact, they really just don't want you to afford it, which is why you pay an exorbitant amount of money to actually do it. They would prefer that you not watch out-of-market games at all. By pricing average people out of NFL Sunday Ticket, the NFL is simply expecting you to watch local games and like it. I'm guessing that they're thinking, okay, if we only allow them to have access to the local games, then they will become fans of the local team. And this is exactly what the city that I live in is doing to me with my trash. If I get smaller trash receptacles, I'm somehow going to generate less trash. And the NFL believes if they can limit your access to out-of-market games, you will be forced to and will eventually begin to root for your local market team. 
Now, I can technically generate more trash, right? I can generate more trash, but I have to pay a premium, as opposed to my neighbor, for generating more trash. In the same way, the Borg will let you watch out-of-market games on NFL Sunday Ticket, but you're going to pay for it to the point where the cost is so prohibitive that it just makes more sense, more sense to just assimilate, become a part of your local market, and pay the money. Become a fan of your local market because it makes no sense not to be. They don't care about your best interest. They don't care if you watch the product you want to watch. They want you to watch the product they want you to watch. They want you to watch what's in your local market. They want you to watch what they want you to do. Buy what you want. They want you to buy. The Borg are out to get you as an as an NFL fan. They want you to watch certain things as they describe. They want you to buy what they want you to buy. They want you to watch what they want you to watch. They want you to do what they want you to do. And they will do everything in their power, including manipulating your behavior by making sure that you do not have access to NFL Sunday ticket to watch your favorite team and thereby convert you to what they want you to be. That's all for for today, folks. What the Elf Was That podcast. Please like, subscribe, and tell all your friends to give a listen. You can follow host Joel Cade on Twitter at The Left Guard. 